Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid, just walk with your Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is December 9th, 2014, and I am very excited to have on uh, Barry Hazel and John Heller calling in from San Francisco. So this story, I, I want a little disclaimer about that song that you hear. So I wrote that song, and that's me singing. And whenever we hear, if you're going to take it one step at a time, I think I wrote it a couple of years before I left AA, so just a little disclaimer for Barry and for John who are waiting in queue so they don't get the wrong idea about me. Um, I'm just going to read. This is from the San Francisco paper. Uh, Barry Hazel was paroled after a one-year prison term for methamphetamine possession in 2007 and was ordered to spend the next 90 days in a residential drug treatment program. When he arrived, officials told him it was a 12-step program modeled on Alcoholics Anonymous that required participants to confess their powerlessness and submit to a higher power through prayer. Hazel, a lifelong atheist, had asked for a secular treatment program. He said that he was told that this was the only state-approved facility in Shasta County where he lived, but that it wasn't a stickler for compliance. Um, They told me anything can be your higher power. Fake it till you make it, he recalled. Hazel refused and was declared in violation of parole and sent back to prison for 100 days. Seven years and two federal court rulings later, he and his lawyers announced a $1.95 million settlement Tuesday of a suit against the state and its contractor, Westcare California, for wrongful incarceration in violation of his religious liberty. And with that, I'm going to bring on my guest. I am just beyond. We were all ecstatic watching and following this case, actually, through the years as it showed up in the news. So I'm going to bring on... The first caller here. Let's see who this is. Hey, is this Barry or John? This is Barry. Hi, Barry. How you doing? I'm good, Monica. How are you? I'm good. You're a rock star in the anti-A movement. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. That's good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, it's really exciting. Let me let me bring on um, John. John, is this you? Yeah, Monica. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Great to have you. I'm so happy to have both of you. We have a lot of people in Thanks the for chat room and listening. Oh yeah, I've been following it ever you know, whenever it was. So, um who wants to begin? 
Uh, John, why don't you start off? Well, um, I'd be glad to. Um, I'm I'm very interested in in uh, in questions that you may have, Monica, or your listeners as well. This is something obviously that that Barry and I have lived with now for many years, uh, mm-hmm. and it's something that, uh, like anything you've lived with that long, you're both uh, happy when the when the when the positive result comes in and right and a little part of you 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 miss a little part of it when it's when it's over this was a extraordinary experience to work on behalf of a very uh courageous man Barry Hazel uh who mm-hmm. had an incredible uh a personal courage to stand up for his beliefs in a situation where most people would simply have given in and and on top of that um uh was tenacious enough to to stick with me through these many years of the ups and downs of this lawsuit and see it through to a to a uh through a to a successful conclusion you really can't ask much more right. from a lawyer client experience than what i was uh was given through working with Barry one of the things that's happening after the 48 hours piece that came out the sober truth that is you know kind of documented in my film as well is now i'm having other people contact me about coercion of all kinds like i had a real estate woman call me from wisconsin had another woman from florida who's trying to find a lawyer because she's being coerced to go to these to alcoholics anonymous in her small town and then there's a very big thing brewing with pilots I was pretty outraged what was going on with pilots and with doctors. So to finally have, I mean, what I, what I think is important that happens here, I think it's, you know, I really, like, applaud you, Barry and John, for what you did, and I want to hear more of the details. But that cases have been won before, but I don't know that they ever got money. You know, we've been we've all, like, used in the Inui versus so-and-so, the guy in Hawaii who was a Buddhist who was actually in prison and after his son helped follow through with that, but if nobody talks about it in the media, everybody forgets about it. And I went, you know, I was sitting in the courthouse kind of a lot when, I, you know, Carla Brada's trial was going on, and I couldn't believe what I watched happen. You know, but judges bullying people that were scared shitless. Either you go to 50 NAs or you go back to jail. And I was like, uh, excuse me, like, you can't fucking do that, but I can't stand up and say that. So, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. I mean, it, it happens um, up in Shasta County where uh, where this case originated. Um, it still happens to this day. Um, although there are people that are, you know, starting to stand up. Um, you know, the word does get out, like you're like you're saying. Um, it's, it's good to it's good with radio shows like your own and um, and and with this case getting the publicity and the, the press and whatnot. Um, it's it's starting to get out there a little bit, and I think that uh, once the ball gets rolling, that uh, that that the the walls will come tumbling down, and and uh, and we'll see what happens after that. Right. Uh, so tell me, um, you know, at what point? I mean, I can, we can read it. I mean, I want to give a shout out to Courthouse News Service. They were the first ones that we found that, and then um, other papers. But it did get. How many papers reported on it? Oh, you know? I, I I stopped counting after probably thirty or so. Um, but it was most of them Good. were picking up the wire story. But it, there was a, there were there was at least ten or fifteen original stories that, that originated with um, individual news outlets. So that was we thought that was uh, that was a pretty good coverage. 
How did you find John? Because we know that can be hard to do to find a lawyer who will take it on. It was a long search. I spent a year um, of pretty dedicated searching for for a, uh, for legal representation um, mm-hmm. to get this case started. And uh, and I really just uh, luck of the draw. Um, I, I was introduced to John by another lawyer up in Shasta County, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I went down to San Francisco and met with him. And um, the, the Five minutes after I walked into his office, I knew that I found my lawyer. <laughs> he was wow. been great from the start, and we just we we get along great and we work well together, and and that's the, you see the result. Mm-hmm. Um, who'd you sue first of the three that you sued? Uh, we we simultaneously filed on all of the uh, on all of the defendants at, at once. Uh huh. When you first file it, because um, we're all kind of watching the Carla Brado lawsuit with Alcoholics Anonymous and. They sued AA here in Santa Clarita. It's different, but you know, like how things go back and forth. So you filed it, and then what happened next? Um, well, John, you want to take that one? Sure, of course. Um, you know, lawsuits have 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 their have a course of action uh, that they take, uh, which is uh, pretty re- pretty formulaic, and this was sort of no exception, with, except with one important difference. Once we began what's doing the, what's called discovery, which is where you basically ask for documents, right. or you ask to ask to take depositions, which is asking questions of the other side. Everybody they get to do the same with you. So Barry had to have his deposition taken uh, and did very well at that. And um, and we started collecting documents. Um, one of the things that we discovered in the process, actually it was, it was sort of featured by the defendants when we started this process, was, look, we actually have a, have a directive. We have an, uh, a, a piece of paper out there that says, uh, that, that instructs all the parole agents that they shouldn't compel somebody to go to a, um, to a religious uh, program if they if they choose not to and right. um, and it was offered at least initially uh, as as an indication that all was well and 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 never mind and you don't need to be trying to get injunctive relief to change anything everything because everything has changed well it turned out as we went through discovery that that like so many other things nobody ever knew anything about it uh, it was a piece of paper that it apparently been drafted but but not circulated among the people that mattered and um and as we went through the discovery process we we encountered what I'm sure you encounter a fair amount Monica which is a notion that that the 12 step process is not religious <laughs> because it's uh in it's spiritual but not religious because your higher power can be yeah. Anything that you want it to be, whether a doorknob or a a, a broomstick or whatever else, right. Right. and and that was sort of the prevailing extenuation and, and explanation of why Barry had been compelled to do what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out to be, uh, fortunately, something that's been universally rejected by the courts that have considered it. So, so that's. That's that sort of was the, what happened in the discovery process, and then we did something which was a little unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, sum, a process called summary judgment, where before trial you can get a ruling. Usually, defendants take advantage of that procedural mechanism. 
we actually tried to get and succeeded in getting a ruling in advance of the trial that Barry Hazel's uh, rights had been violated by mm-hmm. the parole defendants, and and um, and we got that. So at the time, we actually went to the initial trial to the trial. Right. Uh, the judge had already confirmed that that Hazel's that Barry's rights had been uh, violated, and the question presumably was going to be. Uh, how, how much should be compensated for that violation? It didn't turn out that way. Right. That was the way it was, it was supposed to go. Um, there's a lot of people that are being coerced, as you know, Barry, and now you know John, right? Um, every courthouse around the United States, I know for a fact, personally, that if it isn't a judge, it's a lawyer, and then it's the AB 541 class, or whatever it's called, in every other state, every day, in every courthouse. And so yeah, there are people... So true. Right? It's yeah, and I'm we're gonna work on changing it and I'm my my lawyer in New York with my film said I don't have to wait till the film comes out to make the changes and we can talk about some of the solutions at the end. But if you could, uh either one of you or maybe both of you take a turn at empowering there's gonna be a lot of people that'll listen to it. They're listening live and they're gonna listen to it later. Um how to begin and do what you did because I mean, it's really important that people stop being afraid that when a judge says, you're going to go to jail, like, you know, I mean, when, when do you do it and how do you do it? What, are your, what is your suggestion, Barry? Um, well, the way that I, uh, the way I initially started this um, is, is just by, by initiating the grievance process in the actual program where I was. Um, I just complained to the, to the powers that be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, they called the, uh, the the counselors there are called facilitators, I believe, at the place I was at. Um, whatever the, whatever the name may be, um, the the counselor that was in charge that had my case um, basically was um, extremely religious and didn't really have any kind of um, idea. He really couldn't even understand anything that I was explaining to him. He just didn't uh, it didn't register with him at all. It seemed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I didn't really get anywhere there. So I went over his head to the um, to the program director and uh was denied again um and uh from there i went and i i grieved through the parole um through my parole officer and and ended up um getting nowhere with him and so Mm -hmm. um at that point i just asked you know hey what what is it that i have to do you know to Mm -hmm. to get something out of this and and you know to, to 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 have my rights you know um respected Mm-hmm. And I was told that um, I needed to do what was called a um, a six o a six o two, which in California is the form that the Department of Corrections uses um, for um, for inmate grievances. And mm-hmm. uh, and so basically, I filled that out, um, and then I attached. You can attach a piece of paper to it that it, um, to further explain your situation. And I right. just went on. I went online and and I just looked up. You know, I, I knew my. I, the key to this is knowing, you know, your First Amendment, what the First Amendment really means, and and the different clauses that are in it, and what they mean to each individual person. Right. Um, the Establishment Clause is, you know, it's it's one of the most beautiful things ever conceived, and um, and in this case, um, it was clearly being violated. Right. Um, and so what I I just I, I went and looked up, uh, I googled Establishment Clause violations and. Um, and uh, um, recovery programs, and and I just looked at all the cases I could find, 
and I just printed them out and and used you know quotes from them and um, you know just did my best to paste it all together and present that to my to my agent. Now this was all denied, of course. You know it was all it was basically I was told you know just do the program or go back to prison and. Uh huh. What'd you say? Perry? John? Oh, what happened here? Can anybody hear? Whoa, what happened? Hello? Hello? It Something went, um, well, it's really weird. I, I don't know. Can you still hear me out here? Can you hear me? Okay, but something happened to them. So, Barry and John, if you could hear me, hang up and call me back. I think that's the best thing to do right now. And I can, I'll see you in queue. And, um, okay, good. Thanks, Gunther. Um, yeah, it was a really, really weird... Right. So you know what? Yeah, John, um, you can hear me. Hang up and call back. There's something weird that happened. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually hang you up and do that there. Both of you, call me back. Weird. Or maybe I can. Um, of course, something like this. Happens <laughs> like the most important show. Five, six. Um, yeah, there's even trouble with it going. All right, let me see if I can... This has happened before. And... Let me try it this way. I don't know. It's so weird. I hope they just call back. Let me see. Hold on, people. This is... I had some kind of technical difficulty and... Um, all right, so they're gone, and um, what we're going to do is, let me see what, I think he sent me something. Uh, let's see, John, uh, I just tell him I'm calling back now. Okay, good. Yikes, that was really weird. Okay, let's try it now. Hello? Hi. Hi, can you hear Hi, me can now? You, I can hear you. Yeah, good. I don't know what happened. You both just, um, like, went dead. I heard some weird, like, you know, I don't know, it was just, just like a dead zone. Okay, yeah, well, I, I can hear you the whole time. That was, it was, uh, it was weird. Yeah. Oh, it was those steppers. They they tried to hack in. It's <laughs> <laughs> sabotaged, I tell you. <laughs> okay, yeah, if that happens again, um, you just call back, but that's actually never happened before. Um, okay, so you were in the middle of talking about um, how great the Establishment Clause is and, you know, your violation of your First Amendment rights happened. So you were explaining how um, you went to your parole officer, right, and you made your grievance and you filled out this, um, the 602, and that's kind of that's when... Correct, huh? uh, yeah, so you're at that point. So if you want to pick it up from there, that would be great. Sure. Um, so the 602 was was eventually denied, um, and I was told basically to... to do the program, stay where I was, and um, and my the only alternative I had was to go back to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I uh, 
you know, I told I, I didn't really want to go back to prison, but um, but I, mm-hmm. you know, just kept asserting myself and, and I kept um, pushing the. I wanted the 602 to be escalated to the next level, and um, as a retaliation, at least that's what I believe. Um, my parole agent, um, it was three days after I filed the 602 form, he he came right to the program and um, put me in cuffs and took me to took me to jail. Wow. And uh, at that point. I, you know, there's, I just, I got to uh, to the reception center, which is High Desert State Prison, and um, I borrowed some paper and um, and a little stubby pen from <laughs> from another inmate, and I wrote down every last thing I could possibly remember, dates, times, um, conversations, um, you know, and and just events that happened from start mm-hmm. to finish, and um, that right there, I think, was probably the the key to the whole thing. If I hadn't had that, it was eight, it ended up being 18 pages front and back, single spaced. Wow. And um, that right, if I hadn't had that, I would never have been able to do any of this. So, so documenting everything that you that, that you've gone through is really probably the best advice I can give to anybody in this situation is to document it all, write it all down. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things in there that um, you know? Uh, the conversations, probably the most. I I, I think the. I don't know the, the best thing that represents, um, you know, the, the situation with AA and 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 um, my problems with it as an as an atheist and um, a secular individual. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing in there, I, I was probably um, at the point when they were they had issued me a big book. It was it was the day after I had gotten there. Was Carrie to do a big book? West Care did? This was actually at a at a recovery program that West Care contracts with, um, and they are uh, they're in Reading, right in downtown Reading. Um, and so I'd, I'd gotten there, and I noticed that there was all kinds of you know little God posters up and prayer posters and things like that, which you know mm-hmm. it's not up my alley. I thought I'd ask to go somewhere that didn't have that as the main theme of the of the program. So then they started issuing me prayer books and a you know, big book. And uh, and I and at that point I put the brakes on the whole thing and said, whoa, hey, what's going on mm-hmm. here? Because I was told this it wasn't going to be like this. Right. And I was um, and the person that I was speaking with um, wasn't they, it wasn't my counselor, but it was it was a counselor. Said, oh well, you're an atheist. Don't worry about it. You know, it's okay. You can be an atheist and do this. You can make it through the program um, because it's not religious. It's spiritual. Our <clears throat> team. You know, right. I mean, this is—we've all heard this before a hundred times, right? Yeah. Right. Um, like, and whatever. I just yeah. exactly. I just—I told her. I said, "Well, look, you know, why don't you get out your Funkin' Wagnalls there or your Websters and look it up? The two words are synonymous. Right. You know, they mean right. the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that right there was—that's that was probably the most telling portion of the of, of the part that I wrote down when I was in that prison cell. This is a I mean, big company. That, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I just I just googled Westcare, and um, they said they have. Um, and, and I want to ask us. I, I want you to hold on to that thought, John. So, yeah. how much do they charge, and who pays them? When you get con, they said they were, somebody was contracted. How much money do they get, and from who? Somebody yeah, like they were you getting get thousands of dollars um, per month for each um, for each inmate they, that was there. You know, and, wow. and they were technically. Still, we were all technically still in custody. Wow. And they were getting, I believe, four or five thousand dollars per inmate per month. Wow! And who's paying that? 
Oh, that's that's a tax that's taxpayers. Oh my fucking god! Wow, guys, West Care. It says right here they have seventeen states and two territories. Yeah, this is where the money is, the whole little money train. Okay, John, go ahead. You had something you want to say? Well, I was going to say a couple of things, Monica. One is um, it's even though it, Barry's opposition and objection to this was based on his atheism, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to be an, an atheist in order to, yeah. have, to, to, to object um, to, the, uh, to a 12-state-based program. Obviously, mm-hmm. the... The guy who 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 came before us, uh, Mr. Inouye, in in, um, in Hawaii, I believe, was objecting to it on a from a Buddhist perspective. I've right. heard people objecting it to from a from a Christian perspective because it 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 in their view offends their notion of, of Christianity. So so the, the the establishment clause protects people of all persuasions from having to be compelled to participate in what is essentially, what is in truth, a religious program. And that right. was the, the, the point that we, uh, we made consistently through the lawsuit. The, the, the answer to your question is, to your question, in terms of what other people can do or should do, is uh, in the first instance, it, the, the issue that you have to be able to evaluate is whether or not there is some type of state action involved. In other words, the Establishment Clause, as the other provisions of the Bill of Rights, protect against things that are done by the states or the state's representatives or somebody who's acting in a state-like capacity. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in this instance, it was not a, a particularly challenging because it was the state that was requiring mm-hmm. Barry as a condition Right. of his parole to participate. Mm-hmm. But there are areas that are a little bit more murky. You have to sort of evaluate each kind of scenario. Is there really a, is there enough of a state um involvement here that we can that we can use the establishment clause as our as our uh as our friend essentially, as our tool for for fighting what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh and the second thing that you have to analyze is is it compelled in Barry's case Obviously, he wasn't compelled. Nobody was standing over him with a gun. But, right, right. but if he didn't participate, he was going to get sent back to jail, and that's in fact, or to prison, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened. So, the element of compulsion of being compelled to participate uh, was present, and and each each other scenario uh, that we'd be looking at, or that you would be looking at, or that your listeners would be che- would be thinking about. You have mm-hmm. to think about that element as well. Am I being compelled to participate? Because yeah. that's what the Establishment Clause protects against. That's what the pilots, it's really bad. I know it's happening with doctors too, but for some reason I'm attracting a lot of pilots. And I think because pilots, you know, they're kind of that, you know, they're kind of strong or they're different. You know what I mean? That's why they want to be pilots. They want to fly in the air and, you know, they're kind of fearless and stuff. And they are being compelled. Compelled, and even my lawyer said extorted. If you're told you have to go to this particular psychiatrist and pay fifteen hundred dollars, and it's only an AA psychiatrist, and you have to go to this really expensive rehab called Hazelton and pay forty thousand dollars, or you will not fly. You have to have a sponsor and go to meetings and and do things, Barry, that no normal uh, citizen would 
ever on their own volition join AA if they had to jump through the hoops that they're making pilots jump through. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Really, and, you know, I've, I've yeah. heard of Hazelden. You mentioned Hazelden a minute ago. Yeah. Um, they are a huge publishing company that is, that is dedicated solely to AA literature, um, I believe, anyway. I'm not sure if they must have other programs and stuff like you're talking about, but Hazelden is just enormous. And you talked earlier about the money, you know, yeah, how much it was being. A million dollars there's, in the bank account or something. It's it is a huge, huge amount out there that is being, you know, sucked up by these uh, 12-step organizations, you know, based organizations like Hazelden, for example, and um, and also Westcare. Um, and then, and it's and they're all playing the game. And what is, and and what they do is they create this this big circle. And they they basically they take people that are in recovery. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but of people that are in 12-step based recovery, I noticed this when I was when I was at that program. Um, that they they all pretty much, for the most part, when you ask what they're what they want to do in the future, and they all want to be counselors or 12-step rehabilitation people work in the industry. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it's self-perpetuating. You know, they 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 tend yeah. to brainwash these people and then get them back into the loop, and and they and then they hire them and they pay them really really crappy wages, right? Um, minimum wage in most cases, and and so they've got all these ex-addicts that are in there supporting this giant structure that. It's like a house of cards, and, and somebody needs to pull a card out from the bottom, essentially. Right, right. And I, I think uh, one of the things that I saw from dry, you know, flying around the country and going to meetings and even going to ones here in Los Angeles is actually AA is dying internally. And so it is kind of an empty shell, but we have to stop. these. There's three components that are driving people there, and one of them is what we're talking about, what, you know, that you're here, is the coercion in the court system. So if, say, 1.4 million get a DUI, you know, maybe last year or something, every one of those people will be forced. Anyone goes through rehab are told to go to AA. Anyone who has, I mean, there's a third one, which I can't think of right now, but those two, you know, are really big, and those have to be stopped. Oh, the the violent offenders and sex offenders that are being plea dealed to go there, but this subject is, you know, a different one. But if we can stop... You know, and there's me, and now there's you. We'll talk about your work that you're doing. I read a little bit about that you wanted to, you know, work in the courts and change things. Um, if you stop the coercion, the other thing I saw in AA, because I went to their last PRASA, which is their Pacific Regional AA Service Assembly, to see what was going on internally in the general service structure and heard board members talk, is you look around the room and there's no young people in there. Like, they're going to die off. You know what I mean? Like, there's a certain breed of AA people, like when I when I first went in the 70s, when I was an 18-year-old, most people were older than me. But the coercion must be stopped. And my lawyer said the way it can be stopped is that every state has a supervising judge, and those are the people we have to write letters to. And then I go to every courthouse in Los Angeles, there's about seven, six and seven important ones, and ask for a meeting with that supervising judge in that courthouse and talk about your case. So in one hand is what Barry Hazel and John Heller did and won, and they sued the state of California, and the murder of Carla Brada by a man who had been court-ordered over and over and over again. Right? So we have two really strong you know, cases in saying you must offer a, a secular. But, you know, I have young people around me that say, why go anywhere? Like, what is this? Why do you need to go to, like, these programs before, I, it's going to take a while to change that whole thing, but 
you know, at least offer smart. And actually, most people, they don't want even abstinence-based. Everybody wants, for the first time, if you get into trouble, they want harm reduction. They want to learn how to drink responsibly. You know, they don't even want, you know, abstinence. They want something <laughs> sane. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I, I agree. And, and this, I mean, if you if you look at the big picture, this all goes to the big giant failure of uh, the the war on drugs, essentially. Um, right. And that's that's where it all it all starts because if you, the trickle down from the war on drugs is that there are going, you know, the police are out attempting to um, to to get charges against anybody that is you know using any kind of substance at all it would be it uh, you know alcohol irresponsibly even though it's legal um, mm-hmm. or or um, other drugs uh, you know marijuana which is pretty much legal now but you know there there's still an amazing number of marijuana cases in the in the in, on the books right now um, mm-hmm. it's, um and it's it's basically it's a mindset that just needs to be overcome um in the general populace it seems to me um as far as the the you know nonviolent people who choose to to use um, to to use whatever drugs they're using. I mean, it, it really it right. shouldn't be a, a thing where they end up in court or incarcerated, um, right. and then and then and then not just coerced but forced to go to any kind of a meeting for um, for for anything or any kind of rehabilitation for that when they don't feel that they you know many people don't feel they even had a problem. They're just there because they have right. to be. Right. Well, they're criminalizing people. Like, this is really silly, but I'm going to tell you this. So, you know, I had my son got a ticket when we got a puppy, and he took the puppy out at 2 in the morning to show his friends, and he was a teenager. And I got a ticket that I actually had to go to court for. Like, that's the nonsense that's going on. Like, there's curfew. There's, you know, all of our little rights. Um, He didn't have a helmet on uh, and was riding his bike. I mean, you know, I rode all over New York City without a helmet on, and none of us ever hurt our heads in the 1970s, you know, uh, but I want to, you know, th- so there's a lot of things wrong, but this, this case is really big and you got a lot of media. Uh, there's some people asking questions and I'd like to just in the chat room. So I want to ask you some of the questions. Okay. How much influence sure. will this, how much will this ruling um, have on courts, which are not in the district where this was decided? That's a John question. Sure. Uh, well, the good news is this. The ruling that we got on behalf of Barry that went his way pretty much straight down the line was from mm-hmm. the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit is the, is the federal court of appeals that has jurisdiction not only over California, right. but Hawaii, mm-hmm. but Oregon, Washington, and a whole mm-hmm. host of western states. So, right. so just just there on its own, this ruling... Um, has effect over a, a good swath of the Western U.S. Second, um, it is because it's published because it uh, has some interesting issues in it. I think it will be um, instrumental or at least influential in other places around the country to, this, to the extent it's needed. The, the one imp- one important part of this ruling was that as a victim of an unconstitutional imprisonment, Barry Hazel was entitled as a matter of right to some mm-hmm. compensatory damages. That was not something that other other 
uh, circuits around the country in New York and other places had, had concluded that already, but our, our circuit hadn't put that specifically into the law, and they now have. So, so, so the, the, the bottom line answer to your question is uh, it'll have an immediate effect or uh, it'll have an immediate effect on, on a lot of the Western U.S. and should have influential effect uh, far beyond that. Right, because I think one of the things you said, Barry, earlier is that, you know, when you were sent back to prison and you wrote from, you know, those 18 pages and then you were able to get access to all of the, anything that was similar to your case, right, you printed them all out, that people who are in the situation can now print out your story, right, which is a very current story, um, to, to say this is in violation, you, you know, you can't tell me I have to go to this AA a AB 541 class, or you know, or I'm going to go to jail, which is what they're threatening. You know, a 50 year old woman who's calling me from Florida. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And um, just to throw it out there for, um, just in case anybody's trying to look that look the case up, it's Hazel V. Crowfoot, spelled C R O F O O T. If you Google that, then you'll you'll get um, you'll find a link to the to the uh, federal courts, and you can. Um, you can find everything to do with the case there, and there's also um, the oral arguments in the um, in the uh, uh, court of appeals as well, in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, that where where John um, had his oral argument in there, which was just he, he crushed the comp- he crushed the other side in, in that. Then that's that's on there as well. You can get the audio for that. Ooh, oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah, true. Um, good in stuff. This, in this journey, uh, you know, in the as you went through these years. Did um, obviously you came across a lot of people who were in AA, but John, did you find you know were there any judges along the way? Were there a lot of lawyers that were in AA? Well, um, it's a good question. I mean, we were focused for the most part um, on on parolees, people who had been compelled to participate in AA as a condition of their parole. It's easy to forget when you hear. <laughs> how articulate Barry is that he was one of those as well. He had been to a year in prison for for no particular good reason. In fact, his original mm-hmm. imprisonment of a year had been um, had was later overturned for a separate reason by the by the California court system. So he never should have been in prison God. in the first place. Oh my but God! But hear him, yeah. That's wow. that's a, a an ironic twist on the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, um, but. Uh, what you, it's, it's easy to forget that when you hear Barry talk that yeah he was he was one of the parolees and fortunately for a lot of them because uh, not as many of them have the resources and the um, the ability to kind of do the research that he did in order uh-huh. to, to to understand that his rights were being violated in order to do that so bottom line answer your question. Uh, we weren't encountering a lot of other judges, lawyers who were in that process. We were dealing mostly with former convicts, former people who had been directed to participate or else they wouldn't be released from jail. Yeah, that's the other thing that I was kind of learning is that, okay, you do your time. Um, There was a guy who posted on the fix a story where he did like 25 years or something outrageous, 22 years in prison for selling pot to college students back then, which, you know, they were crazy and 
locking people up, and he had done his time. But even after he did his time, he had to come and live in a freaking um, sober living. And a re- like, I was like, what? And then I realized, <laughs> oh, my God, everybody. So tell me if this is true. Everybody who gets any kind of a drug charge, even if you do your time, you have some kind of stipulation that you have to, like, do more, like, you know, because re- we know if, you, if you're sent to a sober living or whatever, that's just like a house with, like, people who are 12-steppers making a lot of money for beds. I mean, Yeah, can, yeah, can, the, so, the SLE situation is really off the hook. Um, there's a... Uh, Yes, it's, what you're at, what you what you were asking is 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 it true? Yes, it's true, um, and it goes oh. further than that even. Um, in in the state prison system currently, there are many people who don't have any drug charges in their history, have never yeah. been drug users, abusers, or anything like that, right. and they are still being compelled to go to these um, to a and and in when you're in an in custody drug program and they're they're being forced to go through these drug programs and they are just sitting there pissed off because wow. they're going, why am I here with all these people? I don't even I, this has nothing to do with me. While and, they're in uh, jail then, or when they This is while they're in jail and then they get released from there. They're, most of them end up getting released into like an S L E type of environment or into the situation like what I was in. This is really bad. Yeah and and you know what? It was super depressing because I've made, been making the film for three and a half years and it's finally done. But I mean I I couldn't believe when I really got to see how deep it was entrenched in every part of America, the judicial system everywhere, in the courts, and then they found about the pilots and found about the doctors in medicine, and they got into Harvard in the 40s, and they've never left. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is too big. I can't do it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, this is really big. And then CBS 48 Hours decided to tell the story about Carla Brada. And then you know, tell a part of about my film being made and why. But it, it's so much bigger than that. And I guess uh, God, wow, that's um, <laughs> I'm kind of like speechless at this point because you know you just gave me and that you know, kind of confirmed what my fear was. But there still has to be little lemmings or whatever you want to call them that are willing to do the work. And one of the th- one of the bloggers just wrote this. She just said the woman who is um, having trouble in Florida about going to go to Hams. Oh, that and someone else is saying there should be a nationwide push to get secular treatments as options alongside AA. Okay, yeah. So this I think would be a solution, right? That if all of our work and this is what my goal is. Like I've actually made a pamphlet that has, you know, the seven, the six free options that are secular, right? That mm-hmm. I hand out to people when I meet them. But that this could be a focus so that you, that everybody wants something else. They're going to see how big it is and how few want to go to AA. Yeah, I, I agree. There's, um, I mean, just in the program that I was in um, before they sent me back to prison from that program, I was, I had been speaking with other residents there, and and there were many people there that felt the exact same way that I did. But they, you know, they, but they were all just about, you know, they took that fake it until you make it mentality to heart, and they were just saying, hey, I just want to get through this, and I can't blame them, really. They just want to get through this and get out and get, and get on with my life. Um, I can understand that because, I mean, having been, you know, when they when they cuffed me up and sent me back to prison, I was not happy about it. It was uh, Prison is a really shitty place to be. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one of those things, I mean, your life's literally – in danger at times, um, and you know, there's, there's, 
there are things that happen there that, that really I, I can't even discuss on the radio or no matter, you know, I really just can't even put it into words. There's there's things that just you would not believe. So all those things, you know, they basically they build up in somebody's head and they say, look, I'm just going to say, screw this. I'm not going to stand up and make any noise whatsoever. I right. don't want to be the squeaky wheel. And I'm just going to just go through and do it. How many other radio shows have you done? Um, well, this is the first, really. Um, I mean, I've uh, I did a I did an on camera interview for a local TV station here. Oh, you um, did in San yeah. Francisco or in Shasta? Are you in San Francisco? Up in, Sh- in Shasta County. Um, it was the KRCR Channel Seven, I believe, mm-hmm. is, um, is the uh, station I did it for, and that was um, they did it was okay. I mean, the, it's it was like TV. It's always it's like how TV always is, where they just kind of do sound bites and stuff. So they really didn't get there was no detail really, but it was uh, it was it was good to get the publicity. Yeah, I think it is. You know, um, I tried to see if uh, I know a lot of lawyers are not on Twitter, um, but it is a way. Um, if you are you on Twitter? Uh, no, I'm not. Yeah, um, it would be helpful because what's I realized a little late. I mean, you know, so I finally, I don't know when it was, maybe in the summer or in the spring, I had a Twitter account but didn't use it. So I found it's the way that you can actually tweet directly to NPR. Like you could figure, okay, you listen, you, you see like a newscaster and you connect with him and you go, oh, like he may want to tell this story and I'd like to talk about this. Because really media is the only way that this will not go to sleep and that, Everybody, it needs to be talked and just, I, I mean, I just wanted to see you go viral, you know, that you're just everywhere on television and being interviewed on NPR, like you could contact KCRW here in Los Angeles, your local NPR, and say maybe maybe John could do it, um, uh-huh. maybe I could do it. But if you're on Twitter, yeah. when I talk about you, then your Twitter account, I could hashtag you. I didn't even know what that was until a couple of weeks ago, but... What happens is you could really, you could reach out to people and say, "I want to talk about this," and people will start to um, interview you some more. And it really is an important case, and so I would encourage you, if you're willing, you know, to get her a Twitter account, and you could follow me, and I could, you know, walk you through it if you, you know, because I had needed somebody young, younger to teach me. But the way to spread the news, we we have, to, I think, using all forms of media. Right, and in the newspaper. Yeah, I agree. Great. There's, it's one of those things I, I really probably should do, and I, I've got a, a Facebook um, presence, but I really haven't. <laughs> it's been probably two years since I've logged into my Facebook account, although it, I know it's still there. Oh, but, wait, um, so yeah, is it just what is your Facebook account so we can it's all find you? It's just my name, Barry Hazel, um, spelled H A Z L E, and uh-huh. uh, and um, you'll see. Uh, it's there's a photo of me. Um, I believe it's uh, swimming in a swimming in a creek or something. I don't know. Yeah, okay. That's, my, uh, that's the picture that's on there. So, uh, but anyway, there's a. I know that there was some sort of a um, of a of a discussion group or something on Facebook that a friend of mine told me about that was about me and my case, and I really, I never got a chance to even see it just because I I had I'd <laughs> gotten so sick of Facebook a couple of years ago that I just really have been avoiding it. And I probably should get back into that sort of thing. Yeah. So the Facebook is full of a community of um, anti-AA people and ex-stuffers like myself. Um, and then Twitter is, now we've all realized it, so a lot of us have gone over to Twitter, but the cool thing about Twitter is get, to get to real, you know, not to real media. And, I mean, I've tweeted to, you know, say somebody like Billy Joel, who hates AA. So he's done two big pieces about being bullied by 
um, what's his name, uh, the guy in England, I can't remember his name right now, but, um, you know, people, there are people who don't like it, there are people who you could find out who are atheists, like Brad Pitt, you know what I mean, like um, mm, right, Angelina right. Jolie, um, you know, stories, um, you know, there's, I, I mean, I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out, but uh, so everybody out there, I realize that we've been going on and on, and I usually say who we're talking to in case you've just um, uh, chimed in. So we're talking to Barry Hazel, and we're talking to John Heller, who is his attorney out of San Francisco. And this is just such such an important case. Um, okay, so you get out of, you write everything down, you get out, you go to the first, I, I love to hear how like it, it kind of built, right? So you won in the Ninth Circuit, John, right? It's even a little more interesting than that. Um, we went to trial uh, in Sacramento in 2010, and mm-hmm. we were, by that point, um, a couple of things had happened, some good, some bad. We had mm-hmm. received the judge's uh, confirmation that, ju- that Barry's rights had been violated uh, by the Pearl defendants, but the judge had also ruled that Westcare, the entity that, that contracts with all these entities, that sets up the network of facilities, mm-hmm. was out of the case. And the reason we had Westcare in there is because, it, as it turned out, and we found out, they had contracted, they were a contra- their job, because they got money from the state to do this, was to contract with all these facilities mm-hmm. that provided um, treatment to parolees, they had only contracted with 12-step programs exclusively. So mm-hmm. our argument was you've made it inevitable, a constitutional violation inevitable because you've established a, a network that's defective. Judge didn't agree. We went on to trial, and, um, and we tried the case. And at the end of the day, the jury came back mm-hmm. with zero damages for Barry. Mm. We fought the judge tooth and nail because he gave the jury certain instructions that we thought were erroneous, that were defective, that led the jury to to, to conclude that Barry wasn't entitled to anything. Right. And that's when the odyssey up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal started. We, that lasted for a good couple of years. We filed briefs. We went up to the next highest court, which has three judges that, that, that look over what happened in the trial court. And that's where we prevailed. We got the judge, the, the judges to agree that the trial court gave the jury the wrong instructions, mm-hmm. that Barry was entitled to some amount of damages as a matter of right, and, and the Court of Appeal decided, no, Westcare has to come, into, come back into the picture. The court was wrong to let them out. They, by setting these things up, by setting up a group of, facilities that only had 12-step programs, mm-hmm. they shared, They were argue, at least arguably shared responsibility with the state as well. So, so that's what happened, um, it, and it's why in this, in this game that we play, the legal game we play, sometimes losing means winning. And, and as a result of having a bad result in the trial court, we actually... Re- created something in the Court of Appeal that, that ultimately will have a lot more effect um, than if we'd won. So that was how it went. Wow, that's really, really interesting and good to know as we see some other cases. Here's another, um, well, somebody said congratulations, Barry. Here's one of the bloggers named Tom. Um, Thanks, Tom. <laughs> yeah, did the opposition argue in court 
that A was spiritual and not religious. Was that the main premise of their argument? Um, one of the bloggers just asked. Um, no, is the answer to that question. They uh, they never made that argument. Um, they really um, they never really we never really got to a point where we argued that in court because that had already been decided by um, the summary judgment portion. Um, where the where the judge had decided that uh, that that my rights had been violated and it was um, over and done with, there was so we never really had to argue any of that in, in actually in court. Oh right, um, that was one of the things. Yeah, that John said early on that was important, right, John? Correct. That's right. That That's right. Yeah. Okay, we yeah, certainly heard that. it in discovery. We certainly in the, during the discovery process when we took the depositions of the Westcare representatives. Recall they're the they're the entity that that works for the state to contract with all these facilities that provide parole treatment, treatment to parolees, their position was it's not religious. We don't, we don't enforce religion. 12 steps is not religious. And of course that had already been decided in in UA and also in several other cases, right, John? That's right. Yeah. it is so religious. Exactly. Like so, here, you know, I was a stepper, a big time, you know, Kool Aid drinking type in the old days. But for my film, I took out like all the God references. There's like 497. Never mind the steps. 497 reference to God, higher power, um, in the first 164 pages of the big book. And to top it off, my assistant and I went to a meeting and um, just to do some research because we heard there was like a rapist at this meeting. And so we went and um, we we didn't stand up to pray. Like we sat in the back, and they kicked her. And then I brought an ABC, a CBS reporter with me to another meeting, and we sat like in the back, like we were like the back row. And this woman um, got in our face because we refused to, and we weren't even we were just sitting. Um, we refused to stand and hold hands and say wow. the Lord's prayer with them. And at that point, the CBS reporter, you could see her face. Um, like getting it, like they're really covering it because of a different situation. But you could see as I brought her places with me that they were like so shocked about all the rest of this stuff that even me, who was somebody who was a person of faith, was outraged by like once I stepped back and saw it like for what it was, I was like, oh, my God, like this is a religious cult. I mean, you're never using that oh, word gosh. cult. But... Yeah. I remember the first time I read Chapter 4 in the big book, and I, I mean, I almost... I almost dropped the book and fell off of my chair. Um, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, that's the chapter, for those of you who aren't aware, um, chapter four in the big book is the chapter addressed to atheists and, and agnostics. Um, and uh, if you just read the first two paragraphs, it's a really short, a short pretty short chapter, um, but, it, but the first few paragraphs right there, it basically says that, uh, that atheists and agnostics are doomed to wallow in addiction um, until they aren't atheists or agnostics anymore, and they decide they're going to get religion or, or something to that effect, and, um, and that's that they're just going to be doomed until then. Um, right. I, I couldn't believe that they were saying that. <laughs> in their, wow. And, and then I telling never... me I could go. Yeah. Um, it, who owns Westcare? Do you folks know? Who owns Westcare? Um, John, do you know that? Well, Westcare is a nonprofit entity, um, I think I don't know who owns it, other than it's a it's established as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. um, we can look it up then. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be very interesting because I don't know if you remember that case where the two judges were sent to jail in Pennsylvania 
for sending those kids to the, those kind of treatment places, and the kid came out and killed right. himself. He was a teenager because they owned. They were getting a kickback, you know, a couple million dollars. Right, kickback, right, so. right, right. Um, well, we. I want to have you on again. We have like four minutes left, so let's talk about any any part of this, Barry. Um, did you get the money yet, or you have to wait for that? Um, yeah, we've uh, well, we've uh, we've received a portion of it so far. Um, hey, good. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, wow. it's it's it's. Uh, it's, I mean, the, the the money isn't really, you know, what I was into this for. Um, I know it's probably standard for people to to say this sort of thing, but mm-hmm. the bottom line is, is I mean, the, the money did serve a really great purpose as far as the the as far as setting an example, you know, to say that if hey, if you do this to somebody, you're going to get smacked for it, and it's going to cost you, and and it's going to hit your pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the idea behind behind all of that. Um, and for that, I'm I I consider it to be a huge success. Um, yes, huge success. It really. And yeah, as far as yeah, I I never I you know I just didn't I didn't know how it was all going to turn out. I just knew that I wanted to keep going with the case. Um, and as long as John wanted to keep going with it and told me that it was viable, I was going to stick with it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing? If you can say it in um, a couple of minutes, we have like three minutes. You're working in the courts. What are you doing to try to change some things? Um, actually, you know, now the case has just been over for um, about a month now, so um, mm-hmm. nothing yet. Um, I've just been just trying to let things. Uh, I'm trying to breathe a little bit, and uh, right. and uh, you know, I'm, I, I live uh, out in the eastern foothills of Shasta County, which, if you don't know, it's uh, this is redneck country up here. I live way out in the sticks, and uh, so um, I, I do want to continue to be be an activist in in, in this, uh, you know. And, and all of these sorts of uh, things, as far as AA is concerned, and the drug war, and all of, and, and I've got lots of ideas on things. So um, we'll see where it goes from here. I'm not quite sure how things are going to pan out yet, but uh, we'll see. John, how about you? Uh, what well, is? I'm hoping another- to stay connected. Yeah, I'm hoping to stay connected with Barry uh, on this issue. Uh, I've talked with him about some of the challenges, some of the new challenges that, that lie ahead. I I know that you've you and I have talked offline about some of the different frontiers on this battle, which include the licensing issues, which include um, uh, some of the professionals who are being compelled to do this against their will. Right. I know. Uh, I know. If there's a way I can keep keeping Barry involved as a uh, as a consultant, as an advisor, as somebody to. Mm-hmm. Bounce ideas off as we take as we uh, explore the next case. Um, he's a great person to, to work with, and I hope to keep doing that. Well, I want to thank you again. Again, today we were talking to Barry Hazel, who fought for his First Amendment rights, being coerced to a AA religious a rehab, and to his fantastic attorney John Heller out of San Francisco, and. I would love to have you on again. If you would, John, go ahead and give Barry my phone number and my contact information, and we can talk, you know, offline and as we move forward and and begin the work because there's a lot to do and you really have laid out, I think, a very very important case. You won it, and it seems like people don't really get it until money's involved, and then they're going to go. Been a real oh, pleasure, Monica. Thanks for having me on. Really pleasure Barry it's been a pleasure John I want to thank you so much for joining me and we can have you on again because I feel like we could still be talking and uh, and do more interviewing well, thank you great. and 
Okay. Thank you very much, and we'll see everybody next week on Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. Good night, everybody, and see you again soon. Good night, Monica. Good night, Barry. Good night, John. Bye. Bye-bye.